Theonauts, episode 15. In five, two, one. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, Theo peasants. <laughs> Bring out your dead. <laughs> So I figure if we're going into the dark ages this time, we might as well <laughs> Monty Python play it up. up. <laughs> That's great. I've cut off your arm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we have been uh, enticed into that. Okay. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, <laughs> we've been goaded into it by a young man in Tennessee. <laughs> I love that show, man. That movie is so awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I am David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theo Knots. So what is up, man? What's going on? Man, not a whole bunch. It's kind of like a lull before uh, uh, before the storm. We just finished our final bout of children's camps. And so my wife got back on Friday. And uh, so we have a week, this coming week off. And then we hit vacation Bible school real hard. Uh, we're doing Agency D3, Discover, Decide, Defend, which is going to be all wow. about apologetics. Agency D3. <laughs> I can even sing you the theme song, but I won't I won't hurt your ears today, David. Cool. <laughs> but we've been training for that. Yep, we're going to teach them uh, how to defend their faith properly. It's all about apologetics. So oh, that's be cool. awesome. Yeah. That fits right into our yeah. into our whole message here. That's right, man. So know what it is you believe. Exactly. And why? Why? Know what and know why. Exactly. Two keys, man. But uh so we have that going on and then the kids are getting back to two a days for football and and uh, volleyball and good old Texas heat. Texas heat, man. It's over a hundred degrees outside. It's not fun to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, to right be now, you know, right we, now. we turned off the air conditioner yeah. because it's too noisy in the studio, <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're gonna have to sweat this one out. Yeah, I pulled off one of my layers. I'm not gonna tell you which one it was, but. <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by the end of this Too program, much information. By the end of this program, I it's might a, be a... It's a good thing we don't video cast yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but David's cool with it. David's cool, yeah. so don't worry. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Okay, so I, I had a fun time uh, helping you guys out in your, uh, your youth. Yeah. You had a little study on... That's right. We're uh, on Wednesday nights. We're walking through... Um, uh, the Bible, basically. Right now, we're at uh, the Passover. We're we're at uh, um, Exodus, Exodus chapter four, the the plagues, and we're walking through that. And and so last year, I went over to David's house, and we had a Passover seder, and it was awesome, and I learned so much. And so I was preparing my lesson on the Passover because I was going to spend a, a whole 
whole Wednesday night studying it with the kids, and I thought, who better to teach this than David? So I brought David in. <laughs> well, don't get confused. It's not like we're following this Hebrew Roots movement or, <laughs> or anything like that. I don't want to get tied up into the legalisms of the law. You know? but, Me neither, but, you know, we do worship on Saturdays. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it is cool. I kid, I kid. So it is cool to at least, you know, know what it was, that right. the Jew, what, what the Jews were doing in their in their culture and in their traditions and in their law and their commands and how like that Passover specifically is it speaks to Christ That's I mean right. the whole thing and it's a it's not we as Christians it's kind of like I grew up thinking Passover was you know Sunday brunch yeah you know where all these people it's a potluck and right. we come together and we and uh but that's not what it is. It's very ritualistic, and there's all these little steps that they, you had to go through, and every one of those steps equals Christ yeah. in some way. Uh, it, it, it represented the Passover uh, right. that, that there in Exodus, and it echoed Christ. And so I think it's a cool thing to do it on occasion just to get the feel of what they went through and to commemorate Christ in all of it. Right. Uh, well, I mean, okay, so the Bible is, is very specific that God did lay down lay down this as a, a ritual, you know, and it translates into our Lord's Supper. So if we don't understand what's going on with this, what it was, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and how it had an impact and, on, on Jewish, I mean, uh, you can use the Passover as a, uh, as a way to tell a Jewish person about Jesus. A great... Right, you know, a great, exactly, because you can go through every step of the cedar and explain Christ in it. Exactly. And so, you know, I think it's important. Uh, that You know, that's part, part of the reason why we're studying history in our mm-hmm. theonauts. It's important to know what went on, yes, what the past was. Where we came from. Exactly. How we got to where we are. I mean, it's right. just like, for example, on a just a cursory reading of, of Matthew... And you're reading through there about when Jesus, or in John, when Jesus washes this disciple's feet. Yeah. And it's like, we just kind of have it in our minds that, okay, Jesus did this right. out of nowhere. But it, but that's part of the cedar, washing right. the hands of each other. And Jesus took it a step further to show his complete servitude to them. Exactly. In washing their feet. So. So anyway, it's, it's it's a good study. So I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I think the kids were, they weren't bored. It didn't appear to be. No, they were engaged. <laughs> so. A lot of them had questions. I'll tell you my favorite one, though. While you were teaching, I forgot to tell you about this earlier. <laughs> While you were teaching, one of the kids leaned over and goes, so did Jesus get drunk? <laughs> because there was four cups oh, of yeah. wine. Yeah. And it was in the perfect <laughs> Texas accent, Southern Baptist, do or not. Did, did Jesus drink? I can't believe he would have drunk. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, so I, that's going to be a fun topic for the uh, next week. Yeah. I'm going to have to cover that a little bit. Yeah, you know. So, and uh, I finally got to see the Noah movie. Yeah, it's about time. Yes. Did it come out on DVD already? It is. It's oh, out wow. on DVD and Blu-ray. Cool. And um, I, I got to tell you, I, I enjoyed it from yeah. a movie standpoint. <laughs> um, there were things in there I thought were really obviously weird. But there was a lot of things I expected to be weird based on all the what I've heard about it. Right. What I did not expect is that I had read an article that suggested that um, Darren Aronofsky wasn't even trying to make the biblical account of Noah. That we Christians 
have just assumed since he was doing a movie based on Noah that it would be the biblical sure. but that he was doing something else something from other um, legends about Noah and there mm-hmm. are others out there oh, yeah. and it looks like Darren Aronofsky was drawing off of the Zohar <laughs> so if you don't know what, wait what is the Zohar okay man? like if you don't know what the Zohar is it is the Kabbalah holy book Okay, so, <laughs> so Kabbalah has Jewish roots, right? So uh, this movie was largely Kabbalah. It had tons of Kabbalah in it, yeah. And they even used the term. They even made up the name of that mineral that they were using to light fires with. They uh-huh. even called it Zohar. Oh, and they were like, I didn't notice that, Dad. This is a Zohar mine. Can we go into there? Yes, it's okay to go into there. I mean, there's wow. this metaphor thing going on. Is it okay to read the Zohar? Is it okay? Yes, it's okay. You know, <laughs> so there's wow. so I mean, I, I still enjoy the movie because you take it for what it is. Sure, and there was a good message of redemption through grace and faith. It just right. didn't point to God, the God, the the Father of Jesus. Right. I, I believe the Creator in the story was the um, the Creator as seen in some of these. See, there's Gnostic roots in the Kabbalah as right. well. So. There is some Gnosticism involved there that the creator was locking humans into this nat- into this nasty physical form. Right. And that uh, that the serpent was warning humans whenever he came into the garden and said, uh, he doesn't want you to eat that fruit because it'll make you like him. Huh. That that wasn't an act of deception. That was an act of revelation. Yeah. So you'll notice in the movie they treat the snakeskin with with respect, yeah. and it's got this this power of of uh, enlightenment. Right. They put it on their they arms. They wrap it around their arms and yeah. and bless each other. And notice Noah didn't get blessed in the movie with the snakeskin before his dad got killed. Uh. So he didn't get the chance to understand. And so huh. he thought God wanted them all dead. Right. And that's why he didn't fully understand the visions. So anyway, we could go on and on talking about the Noah movie. But I, but I think it's interesting that it pulled from these other... Man, I'm going to have to go back and watch it now. These now other texts. I, I see that. That's that's crazy. Have you read any inter- interviews or anything since you've watched it? No, I haven't. I haven't seen anything about. But it I'll wouldn't surprise out. me if if he is just snickering to himself, going, well, "These all guys think I was doing this off the Bible." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wearing a little red thread around my arm the whole time. <laughs> Woo! Right. <laughs> so anyway, you got some uh, uh, news for us? Hey, I do. And now the news. Well, starting today, there was supposed to be a 12-hour ceasefire um, between Israel and um, Palestine. Uh, oh, so the, the, the internet movement worked? Well, no, I don't <laughs> think so. John Kerry went down there, of course, our Senator John Kerry, and he, um, and he tried to do debates. Uh, um, now, Palestine didn't listen to him at all. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't even Israel said that they weren't going to agree with him. Basically, uh, they rejected his terms for the ceasefire. Um, he called for a ceasefire. They rejected the terms. They said he'd have to change all their terms. So basically, they're they're still fighting. But Israel has said, and 
they haven't heard anything from the Palestinian side, so we don't mm-hmm. know if Palestine's going to 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 follow pursuit of this. But Israel has said we're not going to shoot anything off for twelve hours. Twelve hour ceasefire starting today, so that people can go and collect uh, their dead and stuff. And right. so um, this is this is from uh, relevant shortly after the news that Israel Prime Minister Benjamin. Uh, Netanyahu, Net, Netanyahu, I always say his wrong name wrong. <laughs> Security cabinet had rejected Senator Kerry's terms for a ceasefire. Officials said Israel will observe a 12, 12 hour uh, unilateral ceasefire starting early Saturday morning. The terms of Kerry's true steal uh, were not immediately made clear, but Israel said they would not agree to any term for peace without significant modifications to the propo- proposal. Hamas. In the meantime, has not responded to the post proposed ceasefire at all. So, but there hasn't been any shellings today. I mean, uh, it's it's been pretty quiet. You know, this is a really interesting thing uh, mm-hmm. for Christians. Even what what do we land on? What side do we do we go on? Do we go on Israel's side and say you know that they have the the right to be there and we need to defend? Do right. we go on Hamas side? Which says, you know, they're basically occupying our, our territory and they're persecuting us. And so there are battle lines being drawn all across the nation on this this argument. And it's no new thing. We mm. know that this is this happened from the you know, the get go. But the reality is, is I mean it's it's kinda like it looks like it's coming to a head. Um, I guess they went in and th- my second news story, um, it's from the Huffington Post. Basically says, um, Palestinian death toll tops 1,000. So in the days that they've been fighting, the death toll has risen to around 1,000. Israel will, uh, this is from, uh, <clears throat> this is from uh, Huffington Post. Israel will extend a humanita- humanitarian truce in the Gaza Strip by a further four hours, a government source said today, as the number of past. Palestinian deaths um, in the 19-day war top 1,000. It is not immediately clear if Hamas is, uh, is um, Islamists who control the coastal enclave were also willing to prolong the ceasefire, which was originally due to last just 12 hours. So they've extended it, mm-hmm. but we don't know if if Hamas is going to extend it with them. So it's really crazy this whole this whole thing. What do you think about it, Dave? Well, I'm. I'm of a couple of different minds about it. It's either support Israel or stay out of it. That's kind of how... Sure. Because I think that either uh, if, if, if God's promises to Israel are still in effect, which I kind of believe they are, yeah, then we need to support that. However, there is a replacement theology thing that, that has kind of swept... Um, Christianity over the past thousand years that says that no, all the promises made to Israel now apply to the church and huh. and whatever. So if that's where you are, don't jump on Hamas's side right. for crying out loud. Absolutely. But, well, because if the reality is, facts don't get put onto the news very well when it comes to this stuff. Sure. Uh, Israel has always been the bad guy in the eyes of the media That's for right. whatever reason. I guess it's the same reason everyone hates Israel 
going all the way back to before Christ. Right. I mean, everyone wanted to wipe Israel off the map. That's right. That should tell you something. There's something supernatural here going on. There's no real natural resource in Israel. Why is it such a debated piece of land? Exactly. The only thing that you might say is that it it is the passage between Africa and Europe, you know, but whatever. I mean, it should not be such a debated area. But of we land. know, but we know it's such a debated area simply because number one, Islam—it's the dome on the rock. Mm-hmm. That is their, mm-hmm. you know, that's their holy land. Right. It's Israel's holy land because this is a land that God has given them, and it's Jerusalem is David's city. Right. So I mean, and and it's also where the where God commanded the the temple to be built right on the Temple and, Mount. So and you know their whole argument that this is our land and Israel was given it in 1948 by a uh, by, it was unfair and et cetera et cetera. It was like well was it unfair whenever the uh, Turks ran the Jews right. out of Jerusalem hundred hundreds of years ago right so and we'll get into some of that you know in this discussion but what's crazy is we're about to start into this whole fight over the holy land yeah it starts in this time frame that we're going to be talking about which is i mean it's amazing that it's gone on for that long and it's Mm -hmm. still continuing to go on and right now the christians are backing off but it's also important to christians for the very reason that jesus was crucified there and rose right uh, exactly and so it's and and i'm not quite on that side of it because sure uh those are just physical things now i've been to israel and i gotta say it is a hugely spiritual thing i mean to be there in jerusalem and i mean through my studies i believe the garden tomb is the actual tomb of jesus sure and so to stand there from a physical and you know one of the Star Trek movies, you know, uh, Picard was touching this 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 ancient rocket, you know, uh-huh. and just feeling of it. And Data was like, "Does touching it make it more real, sir?" And he said, <laughs> "Yes." From a human standpoint, that there's an emotion tied to that. So exactly. from that standpoint, yes, to go to a place where you know Jesus stood, you know these things happened, it has a huge physical impact right. and a spiritual impact on us. But that being said, if it's taken away, it doesn't change who, right. who I am as a Christian. I can follow Christ without ever going to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't lean really hard on that. But at the same time, i got to be really worried about things like God is a promise keeper, okay? Amen. And, and it's unilateral. It doesn't matter if they respond in kind. Right. Okay, if he makes a promise to you, that promise, and, and does so without contingencies, then... We need to be careful not to. Okay, so he, he, what did he tell Abraham? I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. That that's a a big scary promise. Sure. So should we be cursing Israel? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I you, yeah. they may have fallen away from God, etc. But they did that their entire history. Exactly. And, and he never still, stopped. Right. He never stopped. Think about every nation, world power has ever stood against Israel. Where are they now? That's right. That's right. Where is the Babylon Empire? Exactly. Where is the Persian Empire? Yeah. Where is the Greek Empire? Where is the Roman Empire? Yeah. I mean, every empire that has ever stood against Israel has melted into oblivion. And from a purely um, non-biblical standpoint, if you want to look at it just humanitarily, um, I, I was watching Meet the Press um, and... Uh, uh, they had Hamatna Yahoo on there, mm-hmm. and uh, so 
they they asked me, he said, how do you feel about all these Americans that are protesting Israel goods right now and all that with, with because of Hamas and Palestine? And, and he said, I would encourage them to do this. I would encourage them to buy tickets and fly over to Israel. I would encourage them to walk around and see how we treat Americans. Then I would encourage them to get on a bus and go, and to, go, go to Hamas. <laughs> yes. And he said, but be very careful when you go to Hamas and make sure you're not wearing any Christian t-shirts or anything like that because they will kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was very... Right. It, it People makes, don't get that. No. It's like everyone thinks that is Israel trying to push Hamas <laughs> into the ocean and it's not. They're happy to live in peace there. Right. What's happening is the people in Hamas are lobbying rockets into the school zones and stuff over right. there in Israel. What if Canada or Mexico was lobbing missiles into our school zones? Would we not have a problem well, with that? It's, well, it's because we're so, you know, persistent on our borders and we say, wow. are you kidding me? Yeah, so, so, yeah that's, that's crazy going on there. So how about a little bit of a light news? Besides the fact that Joaquin Phoenix might play Doctor Strange in the upcoming Marvel <laughs> Doctor Strange movie, which is hilarious, I think, because Joaquin Phoenix is all the strange. Oh, he is. <laughs> that fits. But uh, I, I need I need the FCC clip on here. I am a miracle man. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, besides that, uh, right now uh, there's a app being developed. I was really excited. I read this from the Christian Post. Um so I'm like I said I'm walking through the Bible tales right, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going through basically starting in Noah's flood. I'm going to walk all the way through the Old Testament. Try to okay, well highlight hit highlights right? right, but Bible stories is my point. And it's crazy nowadays. Kids, their memories are like horrible to me <laughs> because I'll go the next week. I'll be like, all right, so who did we talk about last week? And I I go through this thing where I bring. Uh, suckers and I toss out suckers to the kids who answer the right questions right, right. it's kind of like re- positive reinforcement it's a teaching trick you should learn it. so anyways <laughs> I'll bring suckers next time I come to yeah, help it's, you out it's great but uh, so a former Microsoft employee is uh, a Christian he's developing a new Bible app a new app for kids and youth Mm-hmm. And I'll just read you the headline. It says, a former Microsoft worker created a new app for iOS that brings the biblical account of David to life um, in a way that was never done before. The software vet, uh, Gerald Henson, worked to release Righteous Tales, David and Goliath. So Righteous Tales is the name of the app, and then David and Goliath is the first one. Oh, okay. Um, which encompasses detailed animation, smartphone, mini games, and achievements all in one app in an effort to present children with a great way to learn about the Bible. So he's figuring, you know, the reason that they're they're so focused on their smartphones and stuff, I'll make a Bible app geared towards it's kinda of like Veggie Tales for a Bible app, right? right. Well is, or even like games like Farm Farmville. Exactly. Where you 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 let this stuff grow but then you have to harvest you have to get the uh, you have to buy gold and this sort of oh, thing yeah. in order to keep the game going. That's great. Maybe you could do that with sure with the you know and they have biblical to, stuff. Exactly, they have to answer the questions to get the mm-hmm. stuff. It's brilliant. So I I, I thought that was pretty that awesome. Cool. I'm going to have all my kids. The, one of the parts that. of that story that really intrigued me. You said this was a Microsoft employee developing an iOS for the iOS. Of course, you would point <laughs> that out. Way to go, man. So so he, he came out of the dark side. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. 
just on that real quick, I read another great article this week about um, Microsoft founder Bill Gates. He mm-hmm. has a club. It's called the Give 50% Away Club. Have you mm-hmm. heard about this? I don't guess so. He, I know he does a lot of charity stuff. Yeah, well, he is committed to giving not just 50%. He's committed to giving 97% of his wealth away by the time he dies. Wow. 97%. That's that's impressive. He's one of the richest men in the world. Exactly. But, like, uh, I think there have been 10 people that have signed on to this. I'll look it up, and I'll find it, and I'll read it for the next, next uh, week's podcast. Because that, that's good. a really good story. Anyway, so that's what I have on the news this week. Awesome. Out, you're dead. <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. I feel happy. I feel happy. You're not fooling anyone. You'll be dead in a stone cold dead in a moment. <laughs> so welcome to the dark ages. <laughs> My favorite time. It's a fun time in history. Right? Oh yes, it was yeah. full of joy and happiness and, and butterflies and, and grief and, and unicorns. Pain. <laughs> Misery. So, okay, so we ended uh, our last official history section right. in the 5th, no, 4th century, so with the 300s. It's always weird to try and get that straight, you know, because <laughs> it's like, okay. 4th minus 1. Yes, there that's you where go. We're so at. we are currently in the 5th century. Which, which begins 400, 400 A.D. That's right. Yeah. And we're going to go from 400 A.D., hopefully, to the end of the of the, the millennium. The, the so, first thousand years. Right. So that's what we're going to try to do. Okay. I think it's very accomplishable because there's a lot of nothing. There's a reason they call it the Dark Ages. There is a reason. This, this is a dark time in Christian history. That's right. Now, um, one of the things to recap just a little bit of how... Because here's part of our reason for doing this, guys. We want you to know that where Christianity has traveled to get to where we are now, there is a lot of thought that we just assume that the way we do church is the way it's always been. Right. I I get into these discussions with people and they're going, oh, are you trying to say that we've been wrong for 2,000 years? Uh, no, we haven't always thought this for 2,000 years. So you've been wrong for maybe 150. <laughs> yeah, if that. I mean, a lot of the the thought processes and the, and the practices and stuff we hold on to right. are 50 years old, 100 years old. But if you step back like thousands of years... And there's and there's always this some idea that there oh there had to be a remnant of people that were doing it differently, and there's just no historical proof of no. that. There's no evidence of anyone uh, running an underground Christian that was not Catholicism right. during this time frame. Um, it, Christianity was just in a really dark place. Now there were many little little sects that were under the Catholic flag. They called themselves Catholic, mm-hmm. but they were doing things kind of weird and different. Right, but a lot of that didn't start popping up until after what we're talking about this time frame exactly. that we're talking about. Right. Because okay, let's remember that what was happening was a slow divergent a divergence from the first century. Exactly. The first century, when you still had all the apostles living and you still had uh, the people who had actually seen Christ, talked to Christ, they knew exactly what Christ wanted. Right. Um, 
they taught others this stuff. But personalities get in the way, personal biases, quest for uh, pride, quest yeah. for hunk, for power. Right. This st- stuff started getting in the way. You started having originally there was bishops or elders in individual congregations. So what it uh, let's just define this in in first uh, this first little century church mm-hmm. bishop or elder was pastor it's the same thing exactly the word um that is used there is is the same as as elder bishop presbyter those are all a pastor these are all the exact same greek word right uh we've made them into different offices mm-hmm. we've we've redefined mm-hmm. these words to make them all different but at the time th- these were all the same office it right. was someone who was giving given um, a lead through example type of position. Right. It wasn't in a position of supreme authority. It was someone who served as much as anything. Exactly. Okay. And uh, it's funny, like whenever I go to Haiti and I talk to some of those people over there, it's so scary how close to the first century they are because Christianity's new and it's all this sort of thing. And I had one pastor that I talked to over there said, uh, you know one difference between pastors I've seen between pastors in America and pastors in Haiti? And I said, what? And he said, well, pastors in America are paid by the church. Pastors in Haiti pay the church. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you're stepping on some toes there, David. <laughs> Careful, easy, man, easy. What not, are you seeing here? Not making any judgments. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, so, but the idea is you have these people that were leading through example right. and et cetera, et cetera. But as as it became a legal religion, this is where everything changed. That's right. When Constantine made it legal, then. People weren't concentrating on the survival of the religion. They were concentrating on the little details and the arguments, and, and they started getting uh, picky and biased and, and political. Prideful. Prideful. And so what would happen is, as it's funny, the church mirrored the government. Yeah. The government split and went to Eastern and Western Rome. So did the church. The, church. the, the Romans had set up area um, provinces and put governors ahead of provinces right so as they were doing this the church the did. church started doing it you started having archbishops a bishop who was over more than one congregation right. and and so the hierarchy began to grow while the government grew right so church polity is kind of like in a pioneer stage at this point and it's growing and it's becoming something that uh, is different, kind of extra. I would say extra biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, from I agree. From from a you know from a histor- historical standpoint, um, and it be, it did it mirrored the government of the Roman uh, Roman authority. Right. So so we get up to the point to where we are now in the in the fifth century. Mm-hmm. And remember, we talked about one of the major things that divided everybody was the the substance of Christ. What was he made of? What was he made of? What was his role? What uh, was he part of God? Not part of God? This was a huge thing for them, and this is what we talked about in the last podcast in great detail. So I'm not going to cover a lot of that. But by the time we get up to the fifth century, we have a lot of division. We have the Eastern and Western uh, cultures are getting further away from one another. You're developing an orthodoxy of uh, Western orthodoxy and Eastern orthodoxy. 
and it's polarizing. Right. The archbishops in one group are not happy with the archbishops in the other group. <laughs> they don't agree on things, and so we're going to see that start to get flushed out. It becomes a denomination. Exactly. So here's <laughs> so here's what happens in 405. Yes. Okay, I want to start there. 405. By this time, you've got the archbishop uh, Dem- uh, Damasus. He decides that. The Greek language is changing. All the Bible that they have is in Greek. Hmm. Okay? The Greek language is changing. Languages change. Right. The fear was we're going to lose the meaning of the Word of God. Right. So let's take the New Testament and let's lock it down. Okay? Latin was a language that was was st- starting to get to the point to where it wasn't being used much anymore. Right. Now, Latin had been the primary language in uh, in Rome, right. uh, at least for um, legalities and, and from a, a, a commerce. The language of the standard. Senate, the language of... It, that's right. Right. So, uh, Latin was being abandoned for other languages, so they had this idea... Let's lock the Bible into a language that will never change. It's the greatest, worst idea ever. <laughs> it really is. I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, let's not fault them right. for this decision. It was it was an honorable idea. They but wanted to preserve the New Testament. Exactly. They to it, and it. their love for God and the Word of God led them to this. Exactly. So this archbishop, he hired us. I call him archbishop. Now the, the Catholics will call him Pope. De, uh, de Ma, de Masses. But um, was he the first pope? N- no, no. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about, about the pope structure in okay. in a little bit. I'm so confused about those. Popes. Okay, so so here <laughs> this this guy he gets a man by, who lived in Bethlehem at the time okay. by the name of Jerome, often referred to as Saint Jerome, right? To translate. Now this guy's a lingu- linguist. He was fluid in Hebrew and Greek. And um, Aramaic, wow. and his his charge was his commission was, we need you to translate all of this Greek uh, New Testament into Latin, okay? And they kind of right. gave him autonomy to do it. He he wow. he used his own personal judgment on what books belonged. Uh, he's a lot, you know, talk about the Dan Brown thing and the yeah. authority of canon. You can thank Jerome a lot for the the canon issues because he rejected some of what we now call the Apocrypha right. and included uh, things that weren't globally accepted yet, but he still uh, included some of it. So, um, wow. so anyway, he he writes this translation, and it's now called the Latin Vulgate. Vulgate yep. Now, from that time forward. The, they adopted that translation. So it was like, for the next few hundred years here, there will be no other Bible. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. Like we said, it was good, in fact, from the standpoint that the Bible wasn't going to change. But the bad side of this <laughs> was that the common man didn't know Latin. <laughs> that's right. So what happens is, when you lock in a the Bible in a language that nobody knows, mm-hmm. they don't read their Bibles. Right. Right? They don't have a they Bible. They can't read, read their Bible. Exactly. So, 
and, and, and remember, this is a time frame before printing presses. Right. There were no bookstores. It wasn't like you could go down and say, well, I don't want to read the Latin Bible. I want to read the Greek version. There was no compiled... Do you have a message? <laughs> <laughs> right. There was no compiled translation of any sort for right. you to buy as a Christian. And this is one of the, one of the, the things that debunks this idea that oh no there was some group of christians under the hood here who always had the right bible and always did it right uh, where did they get it what, how did they that that must have been completely supernatural because there's no <clears throat> and there's no recording in history at all exactly and so bible. you're dealing with here just a historical fact that the bible became unavailable it was largely unavailable anyway except for the scholars right because people uh, who studied Latin knew Latin. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so this is is a big thing that happens. Now, here's let's talk about the popes for a minute. Four hundred and forty-five. So we're now hitting the middle of the century. So, right. so we're moving through it fast. Pretty four, good. Four hundred and forty-five. You have a guy by the name of uh, Leo the First. Now, Leo the First was the Archbishop of Rome. Okay. Okay. So remember, we've got an Archbishop of uh, Constantinople mm-hmm. or uh, the East, the Byzantine, uh, and then you and then you and he's in the Eastern Orthodox, and then you have this this Archbishop over here in Rome. Now, this Pope is, or I, he is the one who really started establishing this hierarchy of. Papacy. Papacy. Yeah. He's the one who really, they call him Leo the Great. <laughs> What's so great about Leo the Great? So what what, uh, what Leo did, one of the, he did a lot of things, but one of his big edicts was to establish authority of the Roman archbishop over all others. Right. Okay, so his statement was, we're no longer going to be he, he his idea was we're going to unify through conformity all right you are under me <laughs> so he took it upon himself to enact complete supremacy over the eastern archbishop right okay so in doing this it established one new level into the hierarchy right and it all came to one point yeah so this is the really the first place where you have one single leader over the entire church. And what he also did was he, uh, uh, because he was in Rome, he claimed that the Rome was the only place that could, that could claim this because he could date back every archbishop that preceded him all the way to Peter. Peter. Yeah. So he claimed, because Peter was... Uh, by church history, uh, a bishop or an elder over a church in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And so he, through succession, was able to name preceding bishops that led (laughs) all the way back to Peter. So So, I am the, you know, basically the heir of Peter. Exactly. And we go back and we look at that chapter in scripture where Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So exactly. And so they use that text. Yeah. So if you go to to the Catholic encyclopedia, you will find a list of popes all the way back to Peter. Right. And how they do this is they weren't traditionally calling themselves popes until about this time frame. So to answer your question about the first pope, the Catholics will say the first pope was Peter, but in reality, 
the first real pope as we have him today began at Leo. Leo. Yeah. And uh, so, but, you know, that term has been pre- uh, preempted back or uh, yeah. uh, pre-written back to the Peter. previous yeah. bishops. <laughs> so... Um, Pretty amazing. So uh, three years after this, you have uh, the Council of Ephesus. Guess what they're discussing? Let me guess. Hold on. I, I get three guesses here. <laughs> it wasn't, It wasn't. should we eat bacon? <laughs> nope. It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't. Predestination free will? Predestination no. free will? No. Nope. Nope. So it must be then the nature of Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right. So, so, so once again, they're fighting about uh, about uh, Jesus's nature. Okay. Um, so I then, can't get over this. Okay. Two years after that, they have another council that we talked about in our last episode, which is the Council of Chalcedon. Chalcedon, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce it. So that was the the council that that fussed over the um, the human side of Christ. So how human was he? Right. You know, and that, that sort of thing. So, uh, and we talked about that in the last episode. So now we're entering into, the, we're in the middle, late part of the 5th century. And what is happening is Christianity is spreading over the world, um, but in this new modified state. Right. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, monasticism. Or monasticism. Monasticism. Or, <laughs> monks okay the the, idea, monk. the idea of monks this this type of christianity is what was spreading right so we have monks and whatever um evangelizing and being missionaries into um other areas we have them establishing okay this is the time frame of saint patrick mm-hmm. saint patrick took he went over to Ireland. He went to Ireland. That's right. So he started over there as a slave, and he left there, and he came back, and he he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. It was a great day in the morning. Oh, it's wonderful. So I'm gonna have to give a shout out to Richard McKibben, who's listening. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sorry, Richard. No offense. No offense. But he's hey, actually Irish. Shout out to Saint Patrick. Word for bringing. You know, the, the Christianity, the Christianity to, Ireland. to Ireland. That's right. So this all happened during this time frame. So we see the growth is starting to happen. Into, now, in the England area is uh, now currently being ran by a group called the Anglo-Saxons. Right. Now, the Anglo-Saxons were largely pagan. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was, there, we'll see that they pop up a lot in, in the history. They're the ones... Who uh, their language basically morphed into what we're speaking right now? English. English. So there's uh, we we have we owe a lot to those Anglo-Saxons, right. even though they were uh, a pa- a pagan <laughs> barbarians. <laughs> but they um, ate meat. Okay, so dude, from four from about four hundred and fifty-one to about nearly six hundred, there is very little report. Silence. Yeah. It's what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with very little change, right. very little, um, very little outward thinking, largely because the Bible's not being read at this point right. by anybody. It's called the Dark Ages for a reason, yeah. Because this, the, there's a lack of light. Exactly. 
when you take the Bible out of the world. Yes. I you're, mean, you're taking the word it, of God out it, of the world. And, and so, uh, so what happens in, we're going to jump all the way up to 596. Wow. So we just skipped almost the entire 6th century. <laughs> well, we might get this done today. Yeah. <laughs> so in 596, we have another uh, pope by the name of Gregory. And Gregory... <laughs> Wait, Gregory the what? Gregory the Great. What's so great about Gregory? <laughs> <laughs> so now we're only going to stop on popes who are great. Okay, that's <laughs> right. They're not great in between there. They're we, not great. We don't have much to say about you. <laughs> Pope John the Mediocre. <laughs> so, so Gregory, now Gregory's responsible for several things in our history that you might be somewhat familiar with. Have you ever heard of a calendar oh, that we use right now? The Gregorian <laughs> The Gregorian calendar. calendar. Huh. He's the one who determined uh, like the current year yeah. is 2014. We only know that because we're running off of a guess that Gregory made wrongly about when Jesus was born. Yeah. He was so off. <laughs> he put he, he put Jesus's birth at um what 596 years prior, right. which would have been 0 AD, AD, but he missed it by a little bit. It looks like three Jesus years was Jesus was was more than likely born anywhere between 3 and 6 what now we call BC, BC yeah. or BCE, which is prior to uh, so he missed it by a few years. Right. So what? <laughs> We're not going to change the year now. Like y'all could do that math. Come on. <laughs> so he's responsible for that. He's also responsible for a lot of liturgy, a lot of the catechisms. Right. The things that, that, have, that are now a large part of the Catholic Church. He was a very busy monk. He's very responsible for... Not busy monk. Busy, busy pope, sorry. Um, the Gregorian chants. Yes. P-A-S-U Domine. Domine Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, more Monty Python for you. <laughs> That's so good. But we wouldn't have had that joke. That's had right. we not had Gregory. Pope so Gregory. Gregory, Gregory is responsible for a lot of this. But another thing he's responsible for is sending a very popular missionary to England. Oh, yeah. To deal with this Anglo-Saxon problem, okay? And guess who they sent? A man by the name of Augustine. Oh. St. Augustine. That is a very, very important man in Christian history. Saint yes. Augustine. So Augustine goes to England mm-hmm. to, uh, to convert the Anglo-Saxons and establishes himself there as Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, anyway, this is a very fast-moving process. I mean, the 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 Britons began mm-hmm. to accept this in by and large, but there is a big problem dealing with these uh, Anglo-Saxons that continues on for almost a hundred years. Um, but during that time frame, there's also a lot of growth uh, in establishing what is the Catholic understanding of Christianity right. in the English area. And because this coincides with the rise of the of the British Empire, that's why you see such a strong Catholic and British tie that's in, right. in, in history there. Um, so this is... Well, it's the same thing like if you look at Ireland. 
it's the same thing with Ireland because of uh, it's basically because of the missionary efforts of uh, you know St. Patrick and, mm-hmm. and Augustine that you have to this day it's extremely you know Catholic to, to the point where they would fight Protestants uh, I mean blood fight Protestants mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. over their belief and so anyways that's okay. free but yeah absolutely. So, so this is all happening in the dark ages so to them to St. Augustine probably wouldn't label this time frame as the Dark Ages right. because he sees it probably as a time of enlightenment for yeah. the Anglo-Saxons. Um, now, there is something else that happens in this time frame. 630. So we're now into the 7th century. 630 AD, we have a man by the name of Muhammad. <laughs> and Muhammad... Wait, this is 600... I, I just want to make sure our listeners get this. 600 years... After Jesus, yes, okay, yes, uh, it's it's five hundred and seventy years after Christendom, right? <laughs> okay, so just so you know that. So Muhammad Anyways. didn't create the religion of Islam, but no. he championed it. That's right. So it was. Remember, we talked about in our previous part about this letter that Constantine wrote to the Persian king. And basically said, oh, congratulations, you got Christians over there. Right. And it made the guy mad. Okay, that had a lot to do with an ongoing war that began back then between Rome and Persia. Mm-hmm. And the, so the Arabs versus the Westerners. That's right. And so the war technically could go all the way back right. to that time frame. Uh, but there's been these skirmishes between Persia and uh, the Western empires at constantly, All Muhammad rallied uh, people behind him. He introduced the Quran. Mm-hmm. He 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 brought in a whole new Islam. Right, and so um, it's kind of like, um, yeah, the Holy Book Quran came around, and that was that was six hundred years again after. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm trying to emphasize is, if we want to talk about who predates or who considers you know more of a the the bible was the bible was standard by that time mm-hmm. okay and it was the authoritative word of god and here's this guy that comes along yeah it's already been locked in latin exactly and for 200 years right it, it's before the quran exactly so that that's what i'm trying to emphasize whenever they they say that well you know muslim it's kind of like the same no no it's it's 500 years after right right, right. so Anyways, so you got so you got this this happening over here. Um, at the same time, they're still dealing with their issues. They're still fighting. The Eastern and Western Orthodoxy are getting further and further apart uh, in their understanding of, especially of Christ and Christ's substance. Right. This is they're still fighting about it. Six hundred and eighty A.D. Now, the Council of Constantinople. This is another ecumen- one of those ecumenical councils that came together, and three guesses what their what their issue was. <laughs> Let's see here. Oh man, um, was it? Uh, I don't know. Premillennialism? Yeah, premillennialism. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Over a book that Pat Robinson wrote. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I wrote a book. I wrote a book. But okay. it was about their their argument was about the will of Christ. Was his will divine? Okay. Or was it human? Human. 
Did it, so okay. Once again, it's the back to the nature of Christ. They're right. still bickering about this. They're still fighting about it, and so uh, so still we have division that is happening. And largely because of this, we'll see about twelve years later a huge break right. between the eastern and western. So much so that it is now not even the same thing. the 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 eastern or the Byzantine Empire. They no longer hold to Holy Roman Catholic dogma dogma at all. Yeah. They, they they broke away completely and became what is even uh, now referred to as Eastern Eastern Orthodox, Orthodox Church. Yep. So and they elected their own pope. They had their own papacy. Everything exactly. Down their they own. got tired of being under the Holy Pope of Rome or, right. or the Pope of the Archbishop of Rome so, or whatever name you want to put on him. Right. So, so us uh, protesters, or uh, we we like the what's it called, um, the uh, Martin Luther uh, Protestants. Yeah, us Protestants, <laughs> man. Protesters, us Protestants, we're not protesters. Exactly, us Protestants. We're kind of old hat. It actually <laughs> happened way back the Dickens in five hundred and some odd with the uh, with with the the right. Uh, but the pro- but Orthodox. the main problem is they divided not necessarily over. The problems of theology. Uh, well, uh, it was still theology, but it wasn't the problems of that that we deal with in the Reformation that we'll talk about later right. of of works versus grace. grace. And right. So th- this was more of they still didn't have a proper understanding. It was just legalism in a different way. Yeah, and when that's what happens whenever you base your understanding of Christ on some sort of list of rules and orthodoxy is that, while the Bible's sitting over here in Latin. Right, right. <laughs> of course, they're the only ones who can debate because exactly. they're the only ones who can read it. Right. And uh, so what you have going on there is that, and, and also uh, right before that happened, we finally had the last Anglo-Saxon king by the name of Arwald, I believe. Um, Arwald? He was, he was uh, slain. Okay. So the Anglo-Saxon thing became history right. at this point. And uh, so you now have... This orthodoxy happening, Roman Empire, uh, Roman Church happening in England. Right. So now we're getting up to right around 700 AD. Now, guess what? How much information I've got between 700 and 900? Nothing. A little bit of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sure, we could go through a bunch of minutia, but there's not any real major change in Christianity for right. 200 years here. Again, it's the Dark Ages, and, and everything's stagnant. This is becoming also the height of the darkest part of the Dark Ages. This is this is where your King Arthur legend mm-hmm. and all of that begin. This it's during this time frame that it uh, that that we're dealing with with all of that stuff. You also have a fact that even the Catholics were becoming somewhat complacent yeah. in their understanding of Scripture. Like, they were getting sloppy and lazy, and they weren't learning Latin, huh. which meant now nobody understood the That's Bible. Right. You, right. You've got this Latin book over here that everyone could look at and read it out loud, but they couldn't ascertain what it said. You could be a Catholic priest... And not know Latin. Exactly. And not know the Bible at exactly. this time. Which is crazy because basically, I mean, we base our, 
our, our a good pastor knows his Bible, right? Mm-hmm. That, that back then they had they had no clue what the New Testament said. Right. That, they they would sit in mass and read it aloud and not have a clue what exactly. they were saying. But that didn't stop them from telling the people how to live and what to do and who to pay alms to. Exactly. You start. <laughs> this is where the introduction of a lot of those practices oh, yeah. begin to come into play. Indulgences and saying, well, you know, we'll forg- we can get you your sins forgiven right. if you will do this, this, and this, or you'll pay the Holy Roman Church this, this, and this. Right. They had all these indulgences that at that point that this came into play because all it, be- it became was it became their religion. Well, not only their religion, but it became their government. Don't forget this, that basically Rome became a government. Oh, yes. That's all yes, it was, yes. and it controlled the known world. So the Pope handed down his edicts, mm-hmm. and now they had the smaller the kingships and, and the right. governments over you know different areas. But all in all, that king paid homage to Rome right. because Rome was the authority, the, the biblical authority. Yeah. And so he could, he could throw down whatever he wanted. So... Now we want you to pay twenty percent of your tithe or twenty percent of your tax. It's going to go to build us this beautiful cathedral, mm-hmm. but we're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to. Uh, and, and and by yeah, this time, take care uh, of you. So. By this time, you we've surpassed the fall of the Roman Empire. Right now, you might say, well, well, you didn't tell me about it. Well, that's because no one can pinpoint it. Yeah, there was no big event where Rome just fell. Right. It it happened slowly over time and broke into. Uh, many many empires right. the the British Empire the German Empire these are all offshoots of the Roman Empire right. it a better phrase is the transformation of the Roman Empire not the fall of the Roman Empire yeah because it turned into different little city states and you're right it became more religion like it morphed right. into the religion and it right. ruled through religion right and so because Christianity was so hijacked by this lack of a Bible, uh, ruling of, of uh, the upper class, ruling over the peasants of the land, the feudal system, all of this that was happening is now preventing the true word of God from reaching the ears of the public. Right. So instead, you had to, you had to rely. If you were a... a just a serf during this time, mm-hmm. you know, a farmer, a, a petty farmer. You had to rely on what the Pope said for your salvation. That's all you knew. That's it. That was the only place you could get it. So, oh, well, I got to go to make a pilgrimage to Rome and pay 50 bucks to see the skull of John the Baptist right. and pray these Hail Marys, and right. then my wife will be saved from purgatory. Mm-hmm. Yay, good job. Whip good. myself every time I sin. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's a really dark age exactly in history exactly and so you know it's just a there's not a, a, an array of hope here except for one thing that I'll mention in, in uh, as we close this out something that happened that was happening behind the scenes for now for about 200 years but right around the year 900 we have this thing happening not by Christians but by Jews something that was very interesting the Jews were also afraid of losing their Bible. And you know how just how we talked about Jerome translating it into Latin. Sure. Here's what the Jews were afraid of. They had their holy book, the Tanakh, which is the Torah, Nevaim, Kevaim, which is what we call the Old Testament, is largely the Hebrew yeah. language does not have any vowels in it. Right. It relies on oral 
passing uh, down from person to person orally. So like a word might mean one thing when it's spoken. And the only way you would know what it meant when you read it was based on how you heard it read to you. Right. It might mean something totally different if you read it out of context and didn't understand. So it was real easy to lose some of the meaning sure. in their, their holy uh, books. And they were so afraid that the Hebrew language was either changing or disappearing that they were wanting to do something to lock down their holy scriptures. Right. So a group of Jews who called themselves the Masoretes, they gathered together around the Sea of Galilee in the city of Tiberias, and they began this process of gathering everything they could in their holy writings. And every scholar, rabbi, or whatever who could teach exactly what to interpret the Torah, they got them to to pitch in here and what they did was they came up with a new way of writing Hebrew that annotated the the letters themselves with a dot notation system just like your tattoo there (laughs) exactly (laughs) that defined what the vowels inside of the language would be yep so what how to pronounce the word and so they went through this painstaking process because they this is something that's not taken lightly scribes were they had a very, very stringent way of handling their holy writings. You couldn't even touch a, a Sefer Torah with your finger. You you could touch it with a stick. It was serious, yeah. But you couldn't touch it with your a reading finger. stick. Um, yes. They, they were very particular about it. Yeah. So they went through it painstakingly, letter by letter, until they developed what is now called the Masoretic Text. Yep. Now, this Masoretic Text is very important for us because it is primarily uh, what the first English translators used for the Old Testament, for what we call the Old Testament. That's right. And uh, there are some really cool things to note. If you ever do go to Jerusalem, I suggest you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum. Okay, now the Dead Sea Scrolls, we'll talk about it later, but the Dead Sea Scrolls dealt with, um, it was it was a find in the middle of the desert of old mostly Old Testament writings uh, and some ancillary stuff, but we have nearly the entire Old Testament in original parchments there. Right. So we know the manuscripts are accurate that date back to that. This Masoretic text was developed in 900 AD, and the oldest or the, the best copy of it that we've got is called the Aleppo, the, the Aleppo text, the Aleppo manuscript. If you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum, it's round, and they have on the wall, all the way around it, the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Old Testament. Wow. If you go on the, the, in the basement, they have identically lined up down there the Aleppo text, which is the Masoretic text, right. and it is identical. <laughs> so it goes to show That's you so how accurate authoritative these guys were in their translation the masoretic text is a very reliable translation of the old the original hebrew right and so anyway that was a big thing that happened in 900 that i thought was worth mentioning before we get out of this the first thousand years so it was it was dark ages but god was still working in the midst yes he's preparing something that's going to take men out of the dark ages that's right and uh it's just powerful stuff really really cool wow well 
That's uh, that's deep, man. We gotta swim to the surface now and break out. <laughs> Whirlwind through the dark ages. There, that's right. That's right. And uh, and we survived it. That's good. King Arthur and all. So, <laughs> I, I I hope you learned something. I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going forward, uh, you guys. Uh, we we want to uh, we want you to reach out to us, man. Uh, give us some conversation, some feedback about this stuff. That's right. Uh, talk to us on Facebook. Talk to us on Twitter. Um, Anything we missed, let us know. Yeah, give us some voicemail nine seven two eight eight five seven two seven zero. So right. that's about all I got. You got anything else, Jeremiah? Um, let's see here. I was trying to think of one more money python python joke. <laughs> Camelot. Camelot. It's only a model. It's only a model. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, David. Right. God bless you. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972 885 Love to hear from you.